audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. And back with me is Dr. Andrew Van Osdahl from Spearfish, bariatric doctor and Spearfish. Thanks for coming back, doctor. It yeah. was so much fun talking to you last time. Uh, and uh, I, I know we uh, we want to get into a couple of topics, uh, one today and one for uh, uh, in a week or so. And you you specialize... I know uh, we talked before about uh, bariatrics and surgeries and, and the complications and the reasons why you should do it in our last podcast. Um, but another thing that you specialize in is reflux or GERD. Can you explain uh, what both of those are and how they're connected? Yeah. So the easiest way to think of, you know, we call it GERD which was really an acronym that stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. So GERD and reflux are kind of synonymous. But then the other term that often goes along with that is heartburn. So heartburn is really a symptom of GERD or reflux. So is GERD kind of the end game on this? Yeah. So, so I always think of this as like, you know, our stomach makes acid. That's a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Our bodies are designed that way for a reason. So that acid in our stomach helps us digest proteins. It's our first line of defense against bacteria if you eat something that you shouldn't have. Um, so that acid's there for a reason. But the acid is meant to go down. So it's meant to kind of mess with that food, break that food down, and help your intestine absorb it. So your intestine has things in place that neutralizes the acid to get rid of it so that then it's not being harmed in the intestine, right? So what happens with GERD, though, reflux is, you know, it, it's acid refluxing back up into the esophagus. So things that have kind of gone down into the stomach, the stomach is mixed with that acid, and then it actually starts refluxing back up into the esophagus. And that's, that's where the problem is. So there's meant to be a valve there that really keeps reflux from occurring, that keeps our stomach contents in our stomach and down. Um, but when that valve starts to break down, you can start getting reflux where it's coming back up and causing damage in your esophagus because your esophagus isn't really made to have acid in it. So then what, uh, what, what, what would be the symptoms? Because everybody, I think, will say, you know, if they have any sort of pain or discomfort, like, oh, that's the heartburn from the tacos or from the whatever I had, right? But are there, do you guys really have specific symptoms that, that go along with this? Yeah, right. So, so two great points from that one is that <laughs> everybody gets reflux, right? This isn't a... <laughs> oh, really? I mean, so it is yeah. like... We're right. going to experience it. So really that valve is meant to be a pressure relief valve, right? So oh. if anybody eats too much, you know, you eat too many tacos, you have a couple of beers and you lay down right away, pretty much everybody's going to have reflux. The question is whether or not they feel it. And then the other question is how much reflux is occurring. So some people, that valve is stronger than others. I always, I always, it's a, it's truly a pressure relief valve. So there's positive pressure in our belly. Half the time, there's negative pressure in our chest. Every time we take a breath in, air is getting sucked into our chest. Well, that's sucking stuff up too. So like, especially when you're laying down at night and you breathe in, there's negative pressure. There's no gravity helping you. So stuff is going to get sucked up into your <laughs> chest if that valve's not there. So that valve, it's a low pressure valve, you know, like 10 to 12 millimeters of mercury. That's our baseline pressure in our abdominal cavity is about five to seven millimeters of mercury. So, so that valve is meant to kind of hold back, you know, 10 to 12 millimeters of mercury. And that's where it's going to keep the majority of that reflux from occurring. The problem is if that valve starts to break down where, where now maybe it's not holding anything back and any pressure difference. So now you lay down, you take a breath in, things get sucked up, or maybe you eat a big meal. There's more pressure in your belly than normal, and it's going to cause you a problem. So, so everybody has a valve there. The question is, how much pressure is it going to take to overcome that valve? 
And then how much pressure is in your abdominal cavity? So people that weigh more, this is where it kind of goes hand in hand with, with bariatrics mm-hmm. and, and obesity. When you weigh more, you have more pressure in your abdominal cavity, more pressure pushing stuff up. It's easier to overcome that valve. So hopefully you just, I mean, if you if you experience this, then hopefully it's just going to be the reflux that can be treated with over-the-counter medication, right? Is that generally yeah. how you just fix the reflux, right? So, th- so then we kind of go into this whole idea of, one, this is a part of our body that everybody feels things differently. And I, I think they did a great job with, you know, 15 years ago or so talking about heart attacks and atypical symptoms of heart attacks and how, you know, you can get this pain down your arm or into your side. Well, it's kind of the same thing with reflux. And we say there's typical symptoms and atypical symptoms. And typical symptoms are the things that the majority of people feel. But the fact of the matter is, this is a odd part of our body. We we go from, you know, our, our mouth and our our the inside of our mouth and muscles that we control and pain fibers that we pinpoint localize and our stomach and our intestine where there are muscles that we don't control and pain fibers that we don't pinpoint localize. So when I'm doing an endoscopy and I, and I take a bite out of somebody's stomach, they don't feel it. We don't have to give, that's not the part of the endoscopy that bothers them. It's the thing, the part where they have something shoved down their throat, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing with the colonoscopy. It's, it's, you know, we don't feel pinpoint sensation in our intestine the way. So the, so the esophagus is a transition zone where it goes from pain fibers that we pinpoint localized to pain fibers that we don't pinpoint localized. And everybody, everybody has a little bit of difference in that transition zone, right? So some people do feel heartburn. They feel acid come up into their esophagus and they feel this burning sensation. And they say, oh yeah, I have reflux. I have heartburn. Other people, maybe they don't ever feel that. And they'll get terrible ulcerations in their esophagus and, and they'll have dental erosions where acid is coming up and eating away at their teeth or, or they're aspirating at night. They're getting stuff going down into their lungs at night because as they sleep, they're reflexing. They don't even know it. They're, they're not feeling the heartburn the way normal people do, but they have these atypical symptoms of, you know, they're getting frequent pneumonias or, or dental erosions like I talked about. Or you, can get it, you can get it that far back up into the... Right. Up yeah. into your so, teeth. So, you know, dentists will often um, refer us patients for people that have, you know, truly dental erosions from acid in their in their mouth from reflux. How would you not feel that, though? It seems like you would. I mean, I suppose once the cavity starts or once that decay starts to happen, then you're going to feel it, right? Right. Yeah. And that's the, you know, eventually they come in for, you know, chronic cough is a, is a common one. Voice oh, changes. Sure. What we call globus sensation, which is just kind of feeling like something stuck in the back of your throat all the time. You know, those are, those are the trick with those, those are what we call atypical. The, the true name for those are laryngopharyngeal symptoms or LPR reflux. Um, but, but the trick with those is they can be caused by lots of different things. So just because somebody has a chronic cough doesn't necessarily mean they have reflux. Um, and they can also work in conjunction with other things. So somebody who maybe has allergies, maybe the reflux comes up and it, and it irritates those mucosal surfaces. It makes them more susceptible to allergens. So their allergies are worse because of their reflux. Now, we can fix their reflux, and it doesn't mean their allergies go away entirely, but it might actually improve them a little bit. So, so somebody could have those symptoms for lots of different reasons. Maybe reflux is playing a significant degree in those symptoms. Maybe it's not really playing much. So if you determine that it's you know something that can be fixed over the counter with Tums or, or Omeprazole or, or medications like that, how do you determine when it turns into GERD? So, so it's all, it's all GERD. And then, yeah, the question is, how are we going to treat it? Right. So, and that's when I say like, we all have reflux to some degree, right? Like if, if either of us goes and Mm -hmm. drinks a couple beers and eats up on some Mexican food and lays down, we're going to have, we're going to have reflux to some degree. Right. So the question is, how are we going to treat it? So, so anytime we start talking about GERD, we can, 
you know, like with anything in medicine, first thing we're going to do is say lifestyle modifications, right? So those are the things that many of us have heard, like elevate the head of your bed, um, don't eat before bedtime, eating smaller, more frequent meals, avoiding trigger foods like onions, tomatoes, spicy foods. Those are the things that tend to be trigger foods. Caffeine, alcohol, nicotine. I don't it's just know. all the good stuff. Basically <laughs> all the good great. stuff. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, some I've, I've read uh, laying on your left side when you sleep. Is, yeah, that, so is that a thing? Kind of the way our anatomy is, it actually does help to lay on the left side. It kind of augments that valve a little bit, if you if you will, kind of the way that weight ends up laying down. So so that's another thing that can help people. Um, but again, all these things are, you know, they're going to help a little bit, um, but it's not, it depends on the degree of your symptoms and how bad that valve is as to how much those are going to help. So, so then you're going to reach a point where, you know, you're not, you're doing all these things and you're still waking up in the middle of the night with acid in the back of your throat and your chest burning and, and, things like that. And that's when we start saying, okay, you know, medications can get involved. So we can give you Tums or antacids. The important thing to recognize about medications is they don't stop the reflux mm-hmm. from occurring. They really just take the acid out of it, right? And and they all work differently. So some of them will neutralize the acid. They're really kind of like bases where they just neutralize the acid. Um, some of them actually stop your stomach from making acid. Those are the stronger, the proton pump inhibitors. Is that like the omeprazole? Those yeah, are the ones? Yeah, okay. that's like the omeprazole, the pantoprazole, most of them, okay. and azole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good, to, good to remember, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are all the ones that are, they literally block your stomach from making acid. Um, and they have varying degrees of efficacy in different people, which is kind of interesting. So if one doesn't work for you, you might try a mm-hmm. different one, and it actually might work for you, even though a different one didn't. But um, about 90% of people that have reflux-related symptoms will notice good symptom control on those medications when they first start them. Two to three years down the road, that number's down to about 70%. So they, they kind of lose efficacy right. with time. Um, and then there's been, and I'll just say this really quick because I don't know if this is a good spot to add this in or not. No, but, absolutely. Um, those medications have been associated with certain disease processes. And I was going to ask you about, yes, yeah, so, specifically. There's been a number of things in the lay press of like, oh, you know, omeprazole can increase your risk of a heart attack, increase your risk of osteoporosis, Alzheimer's disease. I was going to say, yeah, dementia, Alzheimer's, that, yeah. which is scary when you read that stuff, right? It is scary. And the trick is, this is kind of going back to statistics, you know, the trick of these things is, because they might say, your risk of Alzheimer's is twice as high if you're on one of these medications. And people go, oh my gosh, I don't want to get Alzheimer's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that the risk of Alzheimer's in the general population is only about 0.75%. The risk if you're on one of those medications is only about 1.5%. So, so it's not like if you take that medication, you will get Alzheimer's. It's, it's just that it increases your risk mildly. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, well, of course it does. But boy, they make it sound a lot scarier than that in, yeah. in a lot of these. Yeah. But I think the, the media tends to do that at times anyway, right? I mean, so right, it's right. good then, obviously, to make an appointment to come in and see somebody like you to get yeah. these questions answered. And, and there are certain things like osteoporosis. It's kind of the same thing. Like it's a it's a increased risk um, in the general population. It's not, a, you know, for you or I, probably mm-hmm. not a big deal. If you're a 70-year-old lady who, who maybe has osteopenia, like borderline osteoporosis, you might be a lot more likely to say, well, maybe this is a risk I should worry about. Right. You know what I mean, um, and the other important thing to recognize with those, those kind of studies is that there, it's really an association. It's not a true cause and effect relationship. Meaning that all we know is that people that have taken omeprazole for more than 15 years 
are at an increased risk of those diseases, okay? The question is, did the medication cause the disease, or is it the fact that people have Alzheimer's are just more likely to have reflux and therefore more likely to be on the medication? Oh, that makes sense. We don't know which came first. So is, right. it, is it a cause or is it an effect? We don't really know. Um, there's theories as to how it might be the cause, but but nobody knows for sure. And the fact of the matter is we probably will never know for sure because that randomized controlled trial would be really hard to do, right? We'd have to take a bunch of people that have yeah. terrible reflux and say, you can't get treated for it for, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and God. compare them to people that, that do. Horrible. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that kind of leads into to, to one of the last questions here too. Um, so yeah, you're taking that over 15 years. Your risk is increased a little bit from taking this medication, but the other danger from this, I believe would be esophageal cancer, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, right. So reflux, um, you know, is associated with a lot of other conditions that I already kind of, yeah. I alluded to a couple of them, right? Like pneumonias and we can see pulmonary fibrosis where people are kind of getting these micro aspiration events and it really affects their lungs. And that's one that's common for me to see, but not commonly thought of by primary care providers just because um, it, it looks a lot like kind of asthma. So people that have adult onset asthma or, or even um, different other kind of lung diseases, it can be masked as pulmonary fibrosis, or they might actually have pulmonary fibrosis from reflux, even though they're not feeling heartburn, they don't feel like they have reflux. Um, esophageal cancer is another big one where, um, or, or strictures of the esophagus is, is very common actually. Where what would a stricture be? It's kind of scar tissue in the esophagus oh, okay. where it starts to get tight. And so mm -hmm. you'll, you'll start noticing that food is sticking more commonly than it used to, you know, and this kind of slowly gets worse with time. Um, esophageal cancer is the one that everybody worries about the most. And it is esophageal cancer, just kind of as, a, as another side note is, um, it's the sixth leading cause of cancer-related death, but it is one of the least common cancers overall. Oh, so, wow. So it's not that it's a terribly, you know, your risk of esophageal cancer in the general population is like 0.01%. It's sure. not very high. The problem is that it's like a six-month life expectancy, right? It's a, oh, boy. It's a bad one to get. Okay. So we care about it, but it's really not not pertinent to screen the entire population for it because the risk is so low. Okay. So we don't screen just everybody for esophageal cancer the way we do for colon cancer, right? Right. The reason why is because it's so rare. But in people that have reflux um, or any sort of atypical symptoms um, or typical symptoms over the age of 45, it is recommended to get an upper endoscopy in order to look for signs of beginning signs of esophageal cancer. Okay. When people have can treat these with medication and maybe they don't work, then what do you do as a doctor that can fix these without the medication? Yeah. So of course I'm a surgeon. So I yes. tell people, I think these are the best options. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, of you're course. honest about it. That's what's great. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you get to a point where lifestyle modifications aren't really helping you anymore and you're, it's really affecting your quality of life and, and maybe you don't want to take the medicines because of some of those things we mm -hmm. talked about or, or the medications aren't really that effective for you anymore, um, then we can start talking about surgery. And, and it can mean different things. There's a number of different options out there. Um, the most common thing that we see in somebody that has reflux is that they also have a hiatal hernia, where they're, the, the hole in their diaphragm, normally what we want to see is the esophagus goes down through this hole in your diaphragm, then it kind of turns into the stomach. And, and that, that complex there is really the anti-reflux barrier. As time goes by, because of those pressure differences, that hole in our diaphragm can get bigger and the esophagus can start to actually pull up into our chest, okay? Some people can get big hiatal hernias where their entire stomach is up in their chest. Um, but, but typically in somebody who, and that can kind of lead to other problems, but yeah. typically in somebody who 
maybe your reflux is just kind of slowly getting worse with time, they probably just have a couple centimeters or an inch or two of their stomach in their chest. It's not a, not a bunch of stuff up there. And that kind of represents failure of that valve. So the first thing that I have to do as a surgeon if I, is I'm going to work somebody. So somebody comes to see me for reflux. I'm going to work them up. I'm going to figure out what's really going on. Do they actually have reflux? How bad is it? Do they have precancerous changes or something like that? One of the big things I'm looking for is other disease processes. You know, I talked about like with the chronic cough thing, like mm-hmm. there's other things that can cause that. Um, so we want to make sure that they don't have just really bad allergies or something else going on that's causing their cough. Um, one of the common things that I, I want to look for is motility, or I shouldn't say common, but one of the things I have to look for in everybody is motility disorders where sometimes people have the exact opposite problems. So they don't actually have reflux. What they have is their esophagus is no longer working to push food down. So, so they're eating and it's kind of hanging up in their esophagus and that food sits there and marinates and it never actually goes into the stomach. So they might even be getting all the same symptoms, heartburn, stuff reflux and coming back up into their mouth, but it's not stomach contents coming up. It's esophageal contents never making it into the stomach. So one of the things we have to do is make sure that your esophagus is pushing stuff down well, that it is actually reflux coming up and not stuff just hanging out there. Um, Because it's really the exact opposite problem. If I go in and tighten that valve up, but the problem is you're not getting stuff through it, I've made the problem worse. Right. Yeah. Now, you you also will work with... um something called a link, correct? Yeah. So that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few different options. You know, the first step is fixing that hiatal hernia, but if all I did was fix somebody's hiatal hernia, their reflux would only resolve about 50% of the time. And I usually tell people you, nobody really wants to have surgery with a 50, 50 chance. It's <laughs> right. going to make them better. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so, so I'll couple that with something else, either, either, uh, what we call some form of fundiplication where we kind of take the top of the stomach and wrap it around the base of the esophagus or this links device. Both of them have a similar idea, but just kind of different in implementation. Basically, we're just bulking that that bottom of the esophagus up. Both of those um, have about a 90% chance that you would no longer have reflux after mm. having that done. Um, the difference is that Lynx is a foreign body, and it's not going to break down with time the way that your tissue does. So right. um, by doing that fundiplication, depending on how we do it and what study you read, it's kind of somewhere between 10 and 15 years and half of people will be having reflux again. Um, that Lynx device is, is a foreign body, which comes with its own risks, right? It has its own oh, downsides. Of course. Um, but, uh, but the flip side of that is that it's not going to break down with time and, and hopefully it's going to last longer. We have about 10 years worth of good data at this point on it. And what we see is about 90% of people still have good control symptoms. So we think it's going to last a lot longer. Um, but again, it's, um, it's, it's a fairly new device. So at what point, uh, when people have these issues that we've been talking about here, at what point do you recommend they do either seek out, obviously their primary care, but then you? So, yeah, you know, just to start with, I mean, anybody that has reflux symptoms and is over the age of 45 should really consider getting an upper endoscopy, some sort of screen for esophageal cancer. Um, unfortunately, you know, we see that far too. One of the one of the reasons that esophageal cancer is so deadly is because often it's it's found too late. Too late, right? Yeah. So so making sure, you know, it's a lot easier. I always tell people it's 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 annoying to get an endoscopy, but it's way easier to go in and get an endoscopy than to have cancer. Right? <laughs> what is that? Really quick, what is the endoscopy? What does that entail? So basically it entails um, you can't eat or drink for the night before, okay. basically, or the morning of. Sure. Um, and then uh, you come in, we start an IV, we make you sleepy so that you're you're out. Um, and then we put a scope. It's, it's about um, a, a centimeter, kind of a little less than a half inch in diameter. And it's just this flexible tube that has a camera and a light on the end of it. 
and we put it down your esophagus, take a look at the inside of the esophagus and the stomach, take any biopsies of anything that looks suspicious. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's not too bad, I guess. No, maybe a little <laughs> sore throat after it's done, maybe, or yeah, that's about it? It's okay. you know, fairly common to have a little bit of a sore throat, but honestly, the risk of that is very, very low. Okay. Um, it's a pretty benign procedure. Because you get sedation, it kind of yeah. ruins your day. You know, you, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Those are a nice nap well, sometimes <laughs> right. if you look at it that way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it ruins your day. <laughs> right. I shouldn't say it ruins your day. I no. just say it makes your day less productive. <laughs> yes. I think you say, well, some of us aren't that productive anyway, so you know, it just it feels nice. Um, well, real quick, I, had, uh, I was telling you this before the podcast started because I don't, I don't know if a lot of people, and it can be scary. And when I was telling you this, uh, you made me feel a lot better about it. Honestly. Uh, I got up Saturday morning, had very severe chest pain, upper left part of my chest, um, took, tried to take a deep breath and it just like was somebody was, you know, stabbing you a little bit, kind of moved around to the middle part of my back later part of the day. And I thought I better go see a doctor for this. This, this doesn't feel right. Went through all the tests. Couldn't figure out, you know, everything looked fine. Heart looked fine. Lungs looked fine. No blood clots, anything. And the nurse said, or the doctor said, I, wanted, I don't want to give you a concoction of, a, it was either my Lanta or Maalox. I think they're kind of interchangeable. And lidocaine. And I didn't think you could drink lidocaine. But she's like, no, it's in a little gel. Don't worry about it. Try it. <laughs> so she puts it together. I shoot it back. And within about 90 seconds, everything I was feeling was gone. And I, it was it was the most amazing feeling because it had just vanished just like that. And then I thought, I can't believe that a reflux could feel like a heart attack. And I think a lot of people, like we've kind of talked about, may not realize that, yeah, that's what it could be. Yeah. Do you, I mean, is it, is you, you obviously see that. Yeah. I, and, and of course, the important thing to, to say here is that, you know, if, if you're having excruciating chest pain, don't just assume it's reflux. You know, right. Like, exactly. 100%. Like they told you, right. You yeah. got to rule other stuff out yes. first, right? So, so reflux is not going to kill you instantly. Um, other things might. Sure. Um, but it's still, you know, I, and that's to kind of go back to your question of when do you seek out further treatment? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I'll tell people is, Hey, you know, if you're getting to a point where this is really affecting your quality of life, certainly if you're showing up in the ER yeah. because of symptoms related to it, you know, it's time to consider maybe doing something more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, surgery is not without risk, not without its own set of downsides for sure. Um, but if it's really affecting your quality of life that much, you know, it's time to consider it. Right. Well, I, I know that I will be very soon making an appointment with you, doctor, <laughs> to have, because you made the point of being over 45 and having that done, especially if you've had reflux in the past, that does make sense. And yeah. I think it's a smart move to do so. And, and so what we do, if somebody does get referred to us, or if you call, mm-hmm. um, you don't necessarily have to have a referral, you know, basically we'll kind of see you, we'll, we'll go through a lot of what we've talked about here today. Right. And then we'll get you set up for some of those tests just to kind of see what is going on. And then I'll see you back and we'll, we'll go through that face to face and I'll kind of say, you know, here, here's where we're at. Um, you know, you can try this medication. These would be your surgical options. Um, a lot of people do opt to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to continue on medications for a while. And, and that's fine. And usually I tell people, you know, this is something where as long as your symptoms and your qual- it's about quality of life. Yeah. So as long as that's under control, um, reflux is a progressive disease, meaning it's slowly going to get worse with time. So even if I um, don't operate on you today, <laughs> it, right. uh, unfortunately, statistically speaking, it's going to be at some point mm-hmm. you'll likely get to that path or get down that path. But um, but it can be on your terms, you know, so as long as we can kind of keep your quality of life where you want it to be, there's no hurry. There's no emergency. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for coming in and talking about this. Dr. Andrew uh, Van Alsdahl, bariatric surgeon up in Spearfish. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come down and, and uh, let's talk again. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.